It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. <coughs> Welcome to the American Liberties Saturday afternoon call. Today, if you got my email, you notice I sent out an email about a court case that um, mentions a lot of things about the IMF and all that, and even goes in the defendant, the lawyers, uh, the lawyers for the defendant went in great detail about the statue bonds back 600 years ago. And he made an interesting point, you know, about the the jury to hear uh, the arguments and everything as as if the as if we were back in those times of the revolution at the times where the Bill of Rights were drafted, the Constitution was drafted. Nothing's changed from there to now and um, so all aspects should be looked at and examined and um, and there was some interesting quotations in court cases so uh, for study purposes only I would recommend that you get it now I I have it I downloaded it and I'm I'm asking for a donation of 10 bucks put into uh, our PayPal account and I'd be glad to um, uh, uh, e- email it to you. I can't upload it on the other server right now because they only accept two megabytes of um, document. And this is, uh, it was 11 megabytes, and I graduated it down to uh, 3.4 or something like that megabytes. So it's not that terribly large, but it is. It's good reading, and the interesting and the and the thing they come so close to showing how things are you know how the IRS are criminal. Well, they do. They 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 show it. They explicitly say it. However, they came so close if they would only put how they don't you know ex- how they don't use the government as their witness the Government Accountability Office, because they're always arguing throughout the argument. It's arguing about the computer-generated documents, how they do this and how they manipulate that and so forth. And all they had to do was cap it with the Government Accountability Office says that those documents are not trustworthy. You know, I mean, it's so awesome. You know, I mean, they could have done it. In addition to that, I'm, I'm going to ask Dave uh, if he'll put something together and let's email it to the attorneys because they came so close and yet so far away because they didn't mention that they're only mentioned that Dr. Bailey's only mentioned in the regulations and not in the statutes and how did and how did the IRS use Section 83 to determine that he may gross income? 
they go in through a lot of details and a lot of things, but they miss the, in my opinion, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not giving a, attorney advice here, but in my opinion, they really missed out. So I'm going to end my, my introduction in saying this is a good case, you know, because I, I've always lived and acknowledge the fact that we learn by our mistakes. A smart man learns by his own mistakes. But a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. So when you read this this court case, it's, it's, it's about, I don't know, 160 pages, just briefing out of the court case. Um, you... Um, you will see that uh, it, the mistakes they made. So it's up to us to learn by it. And, and being that it's up to us, you take David's arguments now, maybe not compounded or added or anything like this, but, you know, Dave's arguments, you don't need any other arguments. But even if you wanted to, you know, at least be articulated enough to use it all where you can, you know, understand it to the full capacity or at least as much as you can. So with that, Dave, are you on the call? Yeah, hi, Chris. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, I was going to ask you for some legal advice. Nah, you you got to go down the road to an attorney. They'll, they'll steal from you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to the call on... Saturday, September 19th, 2015. My name is David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away with the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. Now, um, <clears throat> yes, uh, the attorneys in the, uh, uh, what's the doctor's name? Chris? Bailey. Bailey, the attorney's have missed the boat regarding the bottom lines on the tax code. The bottom lines are, if I'm a citizen of the United States like they say I am, I'm only implicated by regulation and not by statute, not at all. And even if I did uh, find myself in the tax code, Section 83 operates to separate from gross income the value of my labor. Both of these arguments are sketched <clears throat> on wevgov.com, wevgov.com. I've typed into the chat there. And you can get a hold of Chris at americanliberties.llc at gmail.com, also in the chat window. And the address on the web to the entire lawsuit and 300-plus pages of exhibits filed with the lawsuit in South Dakota, May 20th, 2015, the government responded with a motion to dismiss. I wrote the opposition to the motion to dismiss, and it was filed, and the government uh, filed a rebuttal to that opposition. And now we're waiting for the court to say whether the lawsuit can uh, move forward or not. I've been stating that I think there's a 70% chance that it will be dismissed because you can't get review of the IRS. However, under the Administrative Procedures Act, there's a very clear mandate that the reviewing court 
shall review the conduct complained of for constitutionality and abuse of discretion uh, beyond whether or not it's beyond statutory scope and authority, whether or not the uh, acts of the agency were conducted in accordance with law, and we're making a couple of challenges that have nothing to do with tax law. They have to do with the fact that if you blow the whistle on the IRS saying that they violated statute, you're stigmatized as a sovereign citizen, freeman, militia, non-resident alien, adhesion contract, sort of a filer of false securities, all that other good garbage. And they don't get to the language of the statutes that you claim they violated. Anybody that contradicts the IRS will be stigmatized and categorized, and you'll be the first ones in the FEMA camp. So uh, there's an issue in there that asks the court to affirm that somebody with a statutory challenge is a whistleblower. They're not a tax protester. Another one asks the court to affirm that the plaintiffs are not willful because they've gone on record with a, an affidavit of joinder in Congress to say that they don't believe they have a duty. Joining my 2006 complaint, making it their complaint as a co-complainant, and they've gone on record in this court case with an affidavit saying, I hereby join this lawsuit. I'm similarly situated. I think it's crime just as alleged, and I want the same relief as the plaintiffs in the lawsuit. And I think that's a real reasonable request of the court uh, to say that I'm not willful. I don't believe I have a duty, and so I shouldn't have to live my life wondering if in the future I fail to file or fail to pay, uh, wondering if the government is going to indict me for willful tax evasion or willful failure to file when I'm not at all willful. But if the government can lie to a grand jury and get away with it, you can bet that the government will lie to the grand jury to get away with it. There is no integrity whatsoever in the Department of Justice or in the courts, period. We, have, we don't have a single judge in the country because when it comes down to statutory interpretation of a tax statute, forget it. The IRS will win because it owns every judge. <coughs> Now, um, the address, I'm going to, if somebody could copy and paste that address on the web to the lawsuit in a PDF document, uh, I'd appreciate it. That way I can keep talking instead of typing. For uh, a couple of new arrivals on the chat here, uh, on the call, and thanks for showing up. It's uh, September 19th, 2015 on the American Liberties Call. My name is David Merlin. Now, uh, wevgov.com is the website where you'll find a, a great deal of information, uh, lots of information. On the federal income taxation page are the uh, key two heaviest lifting arguments about the tax code. These just went into court in South Dakota. That address of the PDF document it's 357 pages. That's a 20-page lawsuit plus a bunch of evidence, uh, which includes the 2006 uh, congressional complaint I filed with 80 members of Congress. And in that lawsuit, the government can't talk about several key statutes. 
Those statutes are Tax Code Sections 1, 61A, uh, Section 83, 212, 1111 and 12, 1401, 1402, 3101, 3102, 3306J, and 6201A. I don't need notes for this. Uh, I'm speaking right off the top of my head right now. The government has had these issues for over 20 years. They don't deny a thing. And when you raise these arguments based on those statutes, the government is left utterly speechless, as anybody can see by visiting that lawsuit on PACER, downloading the documents, and uh, you'll see the government simply can't talk about those arguments. <coughs> and in addition to their failure to rebut that they're all extortionists and racketeers, uh, They'll stigmatize you. They'll throw a whole bunch of meaningless, utterly irrelevant tax protester cases at you that didn't consider these particular statutes. They simply refuse. They will not get into these statutes. So I keep making the arguments. Until the government can deny them, I'm arguing statute like all the courts always say you have to always do. We have to follow the law. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You have to know the tax code and uh, your argument is frivolous. But when they can't even argue statute, I know they're in contradiction of all the cases that say statute is primary. In the evidence, uh, I'm going to go ahead and open up that file right here on my computer, the one that you can get on the web there. And uh, I'll direct you to the uh, proper pages. I'm looking for the 58-page memorandum. And here I see... Uh, The 58-page memorandum, it's going to say, uh, like, page 20 of 58 at the bottom of the page. But I'm not looking at that. Uh, well, I opened the wrong copy. Bear with me here. Um, well, doggone it. What I'm looking for on my computer is the entire uh, document with the uh, PDF page numbers in it. What I'm going to have to do is download that from the web here and, um, and then open it. Bear with me. I'll have it here in just a second. Uh, let's see. I'm clicking and dragging it. And what you'll see is uh, this 58-page memorandum that was filed in support 
when I filed that criminal complaint in Congress in 2006, the first 14 pages of that 58-page memorandum is a briefing of how to interpret statute. Because that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to interpret statute. And here I am in the uh, PDF document. As you open the PDF document and go beyond page 20, past the end of the lawsuit, you'll see in the upper right-hand corner, in black, OP1 page such and such. OP stands for offer of proof. <clears throat> An offer of proof is evidence that you want placed on the record. Uh, they can't deny it being placed on the record. It's intended to uh, preserve your evidence for the purposes of appeal. So you always submit your evidence behind an offer of proof. Offer of proof, OP1, page 1, 2, and 3 is the offer of proof. It's an affidavit saying these exhibits are authentic, and here's what those exhibits are. And I scroll down. I'm looking all the time at the uh, OP1 page number at the upper right of this PDF document, and I scroll forward. I'm looking for the 58-page memorandum. And it begins on OP1, page 76. OP1, page 76, is the first page of the memorandum. And as I scroll forward through the document, I see that on page OP1, 80, at line number 10, Introduction to Memorandum. And I'm going to argue statute. And so I begin with the next page, line 10, Statutory Interpretation and Authorities. A, statutory language is of primary import, meaning it's the first concern, period. And I first cite state cases to show that it's that way in state court. And at the top of OP 182, and in federal courts. Look at paragraph 3.3 on page OP 182. Paragraph 3.3, I'm quoting a U.S. Supreme Court case, footnote number three, Carmenetti versus U.S., 1916. It is elementary that the meaning of a statute must, in the first instance, be sought in the language in which the act is framed. And if that is plain, and if the law is within the constitutional authority of the lawmaking body which passed it, the sole function of the court is to enforce it according to its terms. Amen. I'm going to brief statutory interpretation for these first 14 pages because that's all I'm going to do when I brief my findings under the tax code. Look at the next page, OP183, line number nine. Statutory interpretation must be strict. And look at the indented paragraph. This is the case of Security Bank of Minnesota versus Commissioner. 
and listen to the to the dilemma the court faces. The first indented line, bold and italics. The parties provide vastly differing interpretations of the statutory language and both contend that the language clearly supports their position. In my cases, like this one in South Dakota, May 20th of this year, they can't even provide an interpretation of the statutes I rely upon. And so it's even worse for them than in this case. And in this case, the court uh, gets into, we are just judges, and when confronted with this dilemma where the parties have very uh, different interpretations, we're supposed to jump into the middle and decide this case by interpreting statutes. I'm looking at page OP184, line number 13. Sewer breaks into bold and italics. The courts must not enlarge their operations so as to embrace matters not specifically pointed out. They have to get into the clear language of the statute. It's what to do. It's what the courts are supposed to do. And in my case, this one that I wrote for the lead plaintiff in South Dakota, they can't even talk. They don't even have their own interpretation of the statutes relied upon. And so it's worse. So for what it's worth, these are what uh, these maxims, these rules of statutory interpretation are what the courts are to follow and employ when deciding a statutory challenge. So in this case, the bank wasn't labeled as a sovereign citizen or a tax protester. There was simply a statutory dis a disagreement about statutory operation and language, and the court jumped in the middle and solved the problem. But when an individual challenges the IRS, it's always frivolous, and you're always the first one in the FEMA camp because you're a, a domestic terrorist, extremist, uh, sui juris to the third power type idiot. So anyway, there it is. I brief statutory interpretation in ways that are relevant to the challenges I'm going to make. And very uh, important to my approach to analyzing the tax code are the authorities between, I'm looking at OP page 86. What gravity does a statutory definition carry? How much weight? is behind a uh, statutory definition. And I'm looking at OP 86, line number eight. On its face, this is an attractive argument. Petitioner urges that in view of the severity of the resulting flowing, uh, and the result flowing from a denial of suspension of deportation, we should interpret the statute by re resolving all doubts in the applicant's favor though we must adopt the plain meaning of a statute, however severe the consequences. They didn't do that with the health care decision. The health care decision you can, says you can get subsidies for your health plan uh, if it's purchased through an exchange established by a state. And only a few states established their own exchange 
and a bunch of people got subsidies even though they bought their health insurance plan off the federal exchange. And the Supreme Court said, oh, well, it includes the federal exchange too because the consequences of a bunch of people, 6 million people losing their health insurance is too severe. And yet here, plain meaning of a statute, however severe the consequences. So they subverted that. This case and that sentiment have been overturned, not officially, because uh, the health care bill is a special baby. It's their baby. And they'll probably go back to this standard and let the health care decision stand as an exception to that. But anyway, statutory definitions are important. And when you go back to the lawsuit, page 1 through 20, you see that I'm only arguing statute, and I've asked for very plain relief. I'm going to close that document now. Now, um, the reason we're here, the reason we're on this call, the reason Chris and I are here, is to stress to you that, um, uh, and please, keep the chat relevant to today's discussion, because right in the middle of my lesson here today, I'm supposed to consider Donald Trump or somebody that had their doors broken down. It's a total disruption. So if we can't stay on the topic in the chat rather than distract my attention to something else, please don't type anything in the chat. Those are the rules. Thank you, Guest 8. So uh, people aren't on, aren't on the call to hear about Trump or somebody having their door broken in. Now, um, the uh, lawsuit is very simple on a couple of fronts and touches on issues that the Fed has had for many, many years. I'm not new to this in any respect. Uh, if I were in the movement, which I am not, I'd be one of the grandfathers of the people that are now uh, uh, out there with curriculums and programs. Guest 7 asks, what page was the last page mentioned? Uh, at or about page one through four, 1 through 15 of the 58-page memorandum, uh, about page 83 of the offer of proof. Now, when the government in Security Bank of Minnesota versus Commissioner, the government had an interpretation that conflicted with the interpretation that the bank had of a particular statute. Now, I think it was a 1993 appellate case. But you see there the judge articulates exactly what they're supposed to do in such an instance. In my case, under my findings, the government doesn't even have an interpretation of Section 1, 61A, 80, 83, 212, 1111 and 12, 1402B, 3121E, 3306J, and 6201A. They refuse. What that tells me, and you can make up your own mind, is that my interpretation is inescapable. They won't even debate me. At least they got into it with this bank. But they won't even go on record with their own interpretation of Section 83 when the courts and the IRS chief counsel say 
it provides for the determination of what is gross income when you sell your services. They won't. They don't even train on it. They won't talk about it. And so I always hit them with it. It's a statute. It's primary. It's to be strictly construed. And when you do strictly construe or interpret Section 83, you can't get the value of my labor out of Section 83 into 61A, gross income. So why are we here? Why are we in tax court? Why have I been indicted? So forth. When the government doesn't even train on the statute that determines whether or not I had any gross income to report on a tax return. That's the dilemma my findings cause. It's the dilemma that arises from posing these challenges to the IRS and the Department of Justice. And we've just done it again. I knew I could do it. I knew what the outcome would be. The lead plaintiff in that case agrees. The case is going precisely as I predicted. Exactly. The government won't get into it. The government will move to dismiss the case, and it will probably be dismissed. And this is why in the lawsuit, you see, I've departed from statutory challenges in cause number four, five, uh, five, six, seven, and eight. It has eight causes of action to ask the court something other than statutory challenges. And I'm supposed to interrupt right now and uh, talk about Irwin Schiff because guest eight type more irrelevant chat into the window. Please don't do that. Irwin Schiff isn't worth, worth mentioning and it's an interruption. Don't do it. Thank you. So I keep making these arguments and then I uh, won't let them go. I refuse to let them go because they won't go on record. And in my departure from these issues, it was my hope to raise issues that the court will view as warranting allowing the lawsuit to go forward. Uh, I don't want to live in danger or under threat of being indicted, so will you please affirm for us that I'm not willful, that I'm not a sovereign citizen sui juris to the third power tax protester movement moron when I raise statutory challenges. Uh, that um, it's void for vagueness when the government won't even go on record with its own interpretation of the statute, Section 83, that explains whether or not they know what they're talking about when they say, I owe money. Why should I live with a tax code the government won't even interpret, and yet they reserve the right to raid my bank account without a levy? Uh, without a notice, I'm sorry, without a notice of deficiency, they just go out and take my bank account, which is a total disruption of my life. I can't pay my mortgage, my light bill, whatever. They took all my money. When they can't even interpret the statute that explains whether or not I owe a dime to begin with. These are off of the reservation type of argument. I'm not using tax law in those arguments. So uh, it's a great reason to let the lawsuit go forward. So uh, it might be that there's a better than 
30% chance that the lawsuit will go forward. I might be wrong when I say 70% chance they'll dismiss it. Uh, we might have found a judge that actually wants to hear the government talk about the, uh, the parameters of statute. Uh, the judge might actually hold them to the letter of the Administrative Procedures Act that says the reviewing court shall set aside agency action that's unconstitutional, beyond statutory scope, abuse of discretion, so forth. And you'll see the, uh, the Administrative Procedures Act, 5 U.S.C. 706, quoted right there in the lawsuit. And the judge might just say, you know, I'm required to hold the agency to this standard. Yeah, the motion to dismiss is denied. The lawsuit will move forward, and the government shall file an answer by a certain date. We might have a judge that will do that. Because right in the lawsuit, I predicted this will go nowhere. And it's likely the only thing the plaintiffs will get out of this is the right to say, we sued the United States for proof that the tax code applies to Americans, that it operates uh, the way they say it does, and they can't debate a few statutes. That might be all these people get. But in the past, this has been enough to prevent indictments. Chris and I have seen grand jury proceedings abandoned by the Department of Justice when people have subscribed to these findings, become a co-complainant to Congress, and served the DOJ and the grand jury with copies of this paperwork. It's not magic. It's due process. When you prove in advance of a grand jury proceeding that you're not willful, it leaves them a lot less to shoot at, doesn't it? Because if you don't believe you have a duty, if you have a good faith misunderstanding of the law, or worst case, if you don't have a duty to believe in in the first place and you prove it, it's a lot harder to get a conviction and it's risky for the government to go before a trial jury when these findings are in place on the record, as proven through this lawsuit, are findings that they won't even talk about them. <clears throat> uh, the judge can't solve this case in private chambers. The plaintiffs are all over the map. We have plaintiffs in several states. So now, we, have, we offer a process whereby somebody can become a co-complainant to Congress. There's a protocol you have to follow since 9-11 and those anthrax letters that were sent off. The Senate has its own mail distribution house, and the House of Representatives has its own mail distribution house. You have to pay them a money order to distribute the mail that you send to them after posting the mail to them and mailing it to them, you have to include a, a postal money order to pay them for distribution. You have to call them in advance and say, my package weighs so many ounces. How much does it cost to distribute it to these several senators or these several representatives? And they'll give you a quote over the phone, and then you go down and you, you pay for a postal money order. So there's a whole process you have to follow just to get mail to a senator or representative. We do that for you and provide the uh, affidavit of joinder with your name on it, your address, where you take that to a notary and you send it back to us, uh, several copies. Chris will get together with you with the details. 
and then we do the mailing and send back to you an original blue signature certificate of service that proves you're in front of Congress as a co-complainant to the 2006 complaint I served on 80 members of Congress. And now my complaint is your complaint, my supplemental briefing of August of last year, and my supplemental briefing of February of this year are your supplemental briefings, and you can now wield them as if you were the original complainant. They are just as much your complaint as they are my complaint. So knowing, as you now do, I can actually take these issues into court and pull the government's pants down, leaving the Department of Justice, the biggest and mightiest legal department in the world, utterly speechless concerning the specific statutes you see cited in the lawsuit and briefed in the 58-page memorandum and the supplemental memorandum that follows in that PDF document. Now you see, that's what I can do to the government. I knew already I could do it. It's what I do. In 2005, August 2nd, 2005, Austin, Texas, U.S. District Court, the judge issued a protective order against the plaintiff that sued, saying you can't ask the government any questions about these briefed issues. So I already knew I could do it. And here I am, I did it again, and there's actually a chance that the lawsuit just might go forward. How can you justify not joining my complaint in Congress? It's very inexpensive. You email Chris, AmericanLiberties.LLC at gmail.com, and he'll tell you how to join the lawsuit. He'll tell you how to join the criminal complaint I filed with Congress. How can you afford not to subscribe to these issues? You don't have to waive any rights, forget everything the Patriot Movement says that it's taught you, and just say for one moment, the government says, I'm a citizen of the United States. Well, if that's my citizenship, these things are true, and they can't even talk to you about them. You're just saying, if. You're not signing the sworn statement saying, I am a citizen of the United States. You're not waiving any rights. You're not claiming any particular status. You're simply saying, I'll get into that argument for a minute, long enough to point out, if I'm a citizen of the United States, I'm only named in a regulation. What were you thinking? And even if I were subject to the tax code, all property is a cost. What were you thinking? How did Section 83 operate in your conclusion I owe tax on my, on my compensation? They can't talk to you. They don't train on it. And they can't refute my interpretation of it. All of which you can see sketched on wevgov.com on the federal income taxation page. And at the top left of the website, when you get into wevgov.com, you read the mission statement on the front page first, then click on Enter, and at the top of the menu column on the left, you'll see a link that says YouTube 2. Click on that link. It'll take you to my free YouTube seminars. Take the seminar called Key to the Code, 
It's about the fact I'm only named in a regulation. If they hadn't written that regulation, no American would have ever been subject to the tax code. And take the seminar called Internal Revenue Ruling 2007-19. That's about tax code section 83. There. After looking at those and after reading this lawsuit and the supporting brief, and you'll see that the lawsuit references OP1, the offer of proof number one, OP1 page numbers as you go through the lawsuit, flip through the OP, the offer of proof, to find the page number referred to in the lawsuit and read the portion that I'm alluding to in the lawsuit. It's totally indexed. And then ask yourself, can you afford to not make this complaint your complaint by joining it? Are you a similarly situated witness to crime? If not, you got to tell me how Section 83 operated in your conclusion that I'm wrong. you got to tell me how that regulation under Section 1 does not deviate from statute when the statute doesn't mention anybody's citizenship. And if you can't, and the government can't, so if you can't, how can you afford to not go on record as a similarly situated witness to crime? And so you get a hold of Chris, and we'll help you join the complaint. It's only 250 bucks. If you want to join the lawsuit in addition, it's another 250 bucks. And now you become a co-plaintiff. You better hurry because if they dismiss the lawsuit, there's no more lawsuit to join. But if you join before the thing is dismissed, you can then say, I even sued the United States for proof that the tax code applies to Americans and they can't debate me, as briefed. That's why we're on the call today, is to fill you in with the great, uh, fill you in on the great reasons to become a co-complainant. Nobody is offering anything like this. I'm the only one that teaches this approach. It's my approach from my treatise of 1994, and uh, it stands as uh, the single most in-depth, exhaustive, comprehensive, and competent analysis of the tax code ever conducted. I've read everybody else's work. They know three or four statutes at the most. And get the videos. On wevgov.com, click on products, and the uh, products page will pop up. The videos available on flash drive. I would put in this flash drive in my USB port and open the folder, and there will be a folder that says, don't open this, and a file that says, open this first. You click on that, it opens up like a website right on your computer. And you take the course that's on there. It'll have seven video segments. Click on number one and watch that. Click on number two and watch that. Watch them in sequence. And I'll build in front of you my entire approach to the tax code at a whiteboard. It's a series of 2003 seminars that I did here in the Seattle area for a local group. And I'll explain all the parts of the tax code relevant to the individual. And you'll see that I've narrowed it down to about 39 or 40 provisions. And to narrow it down, that says 
I studied literally hundreds of statutes. And I arrived at these arguments as the heaviest lifting argument. I know a lot more about the tax code than what I teach. And nobody else can say that. Nobody. So you truly are listening to the only person that mastered the tax code. I can't stress that enough. And I just went into court and proved it again against the mightiest legal department in the world. And their attorney is Aaron Gallagher from the U.S. Department of Justice Tax Division, civil. And she can't talk about my key statute. So again, ask yourself if you can afford with a government that's willing to go to a grand jury and lie about you. Can you afford to not be a co-complainant? Get the videos. That's where I would start my education. Become a co-complainant. Buy Take from Caesars, uh, Volume 1 and 2. Buy Codebreaker, the Section 83 equation. Those are three bound publications you really have to have. There's nothing close. So uh, the service that I'm offering, um, there's people on the call, Richard in Dallas. He has all my materials. And uh, Yellowstone just complimented me. Uh, thank you very much, saying the videos are well worth getting, very easy to learn from. Uh, they're one of the best investments. And people that have been around the movement for a long time, Robert in Indiana, if he was on the call, he'd tell you he studied everybody. And Chris, he knows a lot about what everybody else out there is teaching. And he settled as my promoter. He doesn't promote anybody else. There's a couple people doing real responsible work. Paymon Mataheta of the Freedom Law School, Tom Smith in Utah, very good work but they don't know about the tax code, what I know. And if you get those videos, you'll see there's no one that can compare, period. And I'm not bragging. I'm saying this to keep you out of prison because people that say, oh, that Pete Hendrickson, he really knows what he's talking about, go to prison. <clears throat> and uh, I want you to understand that I'm the one that really did the work. Pete Hendrickson doesn't come close, and he doubles down on it when you show him the truth He'll tell you Section 83 is irrelevant. Well, not according to the circuit court. And the Supreme Court says we look to the circuit courts to figure out what clearly established law is. You don't have to have a Supreme Court case. You can rely on circuit case decisions. Not Pete Hendrickson. So what's he claiming to be with that sentiment? I don't have to look at circuit court decisions. I know what's going on. You've got to be kidding Guest number nine asks about shutting down employers. I don't do civil. And if you bring the IRS to the door of your employer by bitching with your employer about tax liabilities, they'll fire you. And in any controversy, the IRS will step in and act as their attorney. So I don't have any prescription about, intern about employers. So, again, back to the point. Why I'm here and why Chris is here is to convince you that uh, it's nothing but a great idea to become a co-complainant to the complaint in Congress. Now, uh, we got three people on the phone. Uh, I know Western Washington, Don, that's a friend of mine who's uh, 
taken my findings and works as an advocate for people with liens and levies and has uh, pretty good success keeping people's property from being levied, uh, addressing the uh, the notice the IRS sends out saying you better file a tax return. He's good at getting people 45-day letters where the IRS says, excuse me, but we can't find our ass with both hands. We need 45 more days, 90 more days, 45 more, 45 more. He gets different people have gotten several 45-day letters. Uh, so he's using my finding to a, a large degree to uh, get the tax man at bay. But again, I don't do civil. He does. And uh, if anybody else on the call has my materials and feels like weighing in on the uh, the quality of the materials, I appreciate it. Hey, Don, two cents worth? Oh, yeah. Uh, two cents worth is that uh, uh, Dave is right. Listen to this call. I mean, he's got, got everything right and it works and it works for me applying Dave's material and it seems like Yes, we're getting uh, checkmate letters, 45-day letters from the IRS saying uh, we, need, we need help answering questions of law because we've only been in business for about 80, 100 years or so. We don't know the law yet. Apparently, that's their stance because they can't seem to answer very simple questions about uh, authority and liability and, and jurisdiction. Uh, these kind of things uh, seem to be uh, uh, something that they don't want to deal with because they're pretty presumptive and assuming everybody is a taxpayer and every nickel is income but that's not the way the law says and so i just raise questions about that that they can't answer and, and they're dave's questions and so yeah but you're, you're right on here uh, dave again i'm going to remind don that uh i don't have questions i have conclusions well yeah okay yeah. and uh the, the questions are about the conclusions the questions aren't about my ignorance like uh we the people right, right. and it's stable of experts so uh, present, the, questions I, I, Don, the, the questions Don is alluding to are questions they have to answer to disprove the conclusions. They are not questions asked for an education. That's right. We, we give them the law and ask them to, to show where the law says what they say it says, and they can't seem to find that. And this is this is because they, this is because the word determination of no. tax liability has been defined as. Uh, by the courts as a consideration of all relevant facts and statutes. And they can only make determinations of liability, which means they have to consider all relevant facts and statutes. And so I hit them with statutes and they can't prove they've made a determination because I know there are certain statutes they don't consider. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Don. We're here to help. You bet. Take care. And uh, Don is going to type in his email address into the chat if uh, you want his services, uh, if you want to talk to him about what he does with liens and levies, uh, you're certainly welcome to contact him. And Oh, Don's on the phone. So, uh, Chris, you want to type in his email address to the chat? Yeah, it'll take me a minute to get it, but I will. That's fine. I'll do the talking. And uh, the... Uh, importance of the, these materials, uh, I can't uh, overstress. Yes, number seven. Uh, let's see. I'm on the joiner. It's the functional application of the videos, correct? Uh, what I teach in the videos, uh, the joiner joins you to the complaint that I filed in Congress 
the complaint that is right there in the offer of proof in that PDF document you downloaded. And I'm going to change the address of that file after the call. So if you're going to get the document, you want to get that right now. And for the people that are only on the phone and are not uh, on the web, get ready to write. I'm going to give you the address of that PDF file, which is the lawsuit of 20 pages and 300 plus pages of evidence that was filed with the lawsuit. And you can go back to this call, which is recorded and archived, and listen to my reflections on that document. Get ready to write. Here it comes. And you'll see that the lawsuit references in, uh, very particular pages of the offer of proof and its evidence. Here's the address, HTTP, full colon, double slash. That's how every website begins. HTTP, full colon, double slash. Take from Caesar, C-A-E-S-A-R, C-A-E-S-A-R, take from Caesar dot U-S slash files, F-I-L-E-S slash Z-Z-Z dot P-D-F, as in zebra, zebra, zebra dot P-D-F, H-T-T-P, full colon, double slash, take from Caesar dot us slash file slash zzz dot pdf and you'll have the whole document there now uh, again when you see that I can go into court under the administrative procedures act and the government is speechless regarding a couple of very simple statutory challenges and the best they got is oh it's all meritless your honor it's frivolous it's frivolous and you should dismiss this case. Why? Well, because of these tax protester cases over here that have nothing to do with these issues. That's why you should dismiss it. That's the best the government could come up with. They don't even cite the cases that I've already had in court where they face these issues. Because in my supplemental briefing of August of last year, as you'll see in that package of documents, I've already covered those decisions as ludicrous derelictions of duty. And so they don't even cite the cases that have already uh, been confronted with these issues because they know they had to run from those issues in those cases too. And rather than get into it, they just it's all frivolous. Every time a citizen challenges us, it's frivolous, Your Honor. Why don't you dismiss this case? It's the best they can do. It's exactly what I told the plaintiffs I could do, and we're in exactly the spot I predicted when we filed the lawsuit. So how can you afford to not be part of this lawsuit? JD.consultants at live.com is Don's email address. JD.consultants, that's plural, consultants at live.com. JD.consultants at live.com and uh, he'd love to hear from you so uh, join the lawsuit join the uh, criminal complaint in Congress joining the lawsuit for just the prices that I quoted you you get to say I even sued the government for proof that they have the authority the IRS claims to have and they can't even debate me on three or four or five statutes magic so read the lawsuit read the evidence and uh, get the publications and products you see on wevgov.com. 
There's a couple that have nothing to do with tax law, uh, writing and filing citizens' criminal complaints, a whole bunch of examples of criminal complaints in Microsoft Word that I wrote for people on state and federal levels, people who called me in the past. And you'll see how I write criminal complaints on par with the Department of Justice, uh, equal to or better than the county prosecutor in your state. Uh, there's also a course called Drive-By Litigation. Get the criminal complaint course first. Uh, Drive-By Litigation. These courses come on a flash drive. They open up in your, on your computer like a uh, website. A uh, whole bunch of audio instruction. I think there's uh, five hours of audio instruction in the criminal complaint course, ten hours of audio instruction in the uh, the drive-by litigation course. The drive-by litigation course, when you're when you're able to write in these Microsoft Word documents uh, to amend them for your own case, uh, the 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 case of your choosing, whether it's somebody else's case or whatever. Uh, when you're able to write uh, competently. You don't have to be as good as I am. Uh, you pick up that drive-by litigation course, and in any case of malicious prosecution where the county or the city are out of line with what they're doing, you can put the screws to them so badly they'll never forget you, ever, uh, with the drive-by litigation course. It's as nasty as I can be on paper. It's an eight-month process I reduced to probably three weeks that you could execute this whole process on a on a municipality or a city, a uh, city or a county, I mean. And over eight months' time in Shasta County, California, on the criminal docket in Superior Court, my first time in Superior Court on the criminal docket, uh, I helped the guy get two prosecutors fired, two members of the Board of Supervisors resigned, the county council, uh, one of whom he'd have been running against in the next election cycle had they not resigned, and the judge retired 10 years early. My first time on the criminal docket in County Superior Court. And I looked at all that paperwork at the end of his case in, like, October 2005, and I said, this is the nastiest set of pleadings I've ever seen. And I got jealous because his name was on them. And uh, August 2005. And uh, it made me jealous. And so I wrote that complaint to Congress so I could say I got my name on a package of paperwork like this. It inspired me to write the congressional tax complaint. And then I took everything I did in his case, boiled it down to a three-week process where somebody could actually turn the screws like this against a municipality and really cause some enemies among public servants in the municipal government where the prosecutors hate the city or county council and the city or county council hates them back and pointing fingers at one another saying, I didn't do this, he did it. And it's as nasty as I can be with all the tools I know uh, to a municipality, get the drive-by litigation course. There's nothing close. Okay, Chris, in closing, uh, maybe a couple of questions and answers. And uh, then we're out of here for today. And uh, thank everybody here for joining us on a Saturday. And uh, as time goes on, there will be less to do outside. I hope to see you on other calls. We're here on Wednesday evenings also. Chris? Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I like to, I, I had an e email question that uh, I don't know if he's on the call or not, but it says, uh, 
Hey, Chappie, I, I wonder what effect, in addition to Dave's points, would have had in this case as well as been, uh, excuse me, as well, I too have following the Bailey's case since the inception. And the uh, we don't know because they didn't use that um that you know those those arguments we know that you know the people that have used the arguments in the time of court the uh the prosecutors will just you know weasel around it and uh and unfortunately there hasn't been a lawyer a- anything to hold them to the uh, to the grind, you know, wait a minute, you didn't answer this particular question, you know, and uh, so we don't know, you know. Now, guest nine says, um, uh, how do you, you know, how do you make the employers, you know, stop taking taxes out of your pay and so forth? I kind of laugh at that because, you know, this is this is why I hammer so much on asking people on the calls as well as elsewhere and uh, about crowdfunding because you could do your own crowdfunding by raising money to buy a whole whole bunch of these uh, books and videos and give them to your boss and ask him, you know, don't be confrontational because you're going to lose. And he and he can fire you just to get you you know away from you, but if you start trying to educate them, start asking them questions to see you know questions that would raise his curiosity, then give him the book Codebreaker, the Section 83 Equation, and say, look, I I, I think you ought to read this uh, because you know there's no paperwork, there's no argument, there's no Nothing that I know of that you can just walk up to an employer and say, "Hey, don't don't pay the IRS. That's my my money." And if you go into a lot of mumble jumble, then he's you know it's going to be like uh, uh, Charlie, I guess, with uh, peanuts. You why 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 why? He ain't going to want to hear it. And uh, yeah, and, and and you can give the book to to the uh, payroll manager. And so forth. And then, if you're not worried about losing your job, you can add him to the criminal complaint to uh, shake his tree. But outside of that, there isn't a whole lot. Now, if you you know, the best way to do it sometimes is a 1099. If you can work like that, um, and of course, I do asset protection, which also helps people. So, you know, there are ways to facilitate in getting your money, but not always. Uh, and what about a startup exempt on uh, W-4? What are you exempting yourself from? You got too many kids? Are you exempting yourself from taxes? No. Allow I mean, me. Allow me. Go ahead. On the W-4 issue, you're going to see very specifically to this point i mean it's it's exactly this point in the document you just downloaded from me you got the 20 page lawsuit and i'm scrolling i'm scrolling forward to a very specific page of the op1 
that I can lead you to here. In the criminal complaint, um, OP 26, prior knowledge, 27, uh, OP 30, exhibits in support of the complaint, OP page 31, elements of racketeering and overt acts indented. At the bottom of OP31, I begin a list of things that they did with the law to create the IRS out of a perfect tax code. And as I scroll forward, I come to OP page 33. Uh, Elements of Racketeering and Overt Acts is the name of the segment of the complaint. Look at number seven. Wage withholding under the Form W-4 appears to be voluntary, Section 3402N. That's the statute that says, notwithstanding any other provision of this chapter, an employer shall not be required to deduct and withhold upon a, uh, w- or upon a payment of wages if there is, in effect, a W-4 exempt. And I challenge this regulation that they wrote saying if an employer receives a W-4 exempt, notify us right away. And if we decide that it's uh, invalid, we'll instruct the employer to withhold the maximum amount. Well, that regulation pretty much destroyed that statute, didn't it? And so I challenged this regulation uh, in tax court, got no response on it. But when this complaint went in January of 06, January of 07, they struck that regulation. It's gone. They probably put it somewhere else. But this is the process they follow that even though the W-4 exempt is supposed to be honored by an em- employer and they shall not be required to deduct and withhold, the IRS says, oh, yeah, we'll instruct them to withhold the maximum amount. That's what you're up against with a W-4 exempt. The employer will notify the IRS because the accountant says they have to, and the IRS will say, it's invalid, withhold the maximum amount. See how that works? So uh, to answer your question, the IRS will disallow it, and then you'll end up uh, uh, being withheld upon at the maximum amount. The way when I was an employee, I've been self-employed since 1992, when I was an employee, uh, I had a home business. I was selling my courses. I would claim six, five or six deductions to minimize the amount withheld without scrutiny. And if my employer asked, why are you claiming five or six? We know you're single. You say you got no kids. I'd say I have a home business. I, I accumulate a whole bunch of deductions. And they would withhold at five or six exemptions. So uh, that's to answer your question. And see how much more specifically I'm prepared to address law than is uh, anybody else out there. Um, You won't find this level of analysis or understanding in anybody else's work. And they have amended uh, certain regulations because of my work in the past, as well as the U.S. Passport Application and IRS Publication 17. Uh, Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, the... um, uh... 
I forgot what I was going to say. That went quick. They they, they asked how would you handle that if uh, about your employer in a W four exempt. Yeah, and well, I mean, you pretty much covered it. You just got to educate the uh, the employer, and uh, but you know, we do asset protection where we can set up, uh, you know, where you assign the money over to you uh, or over to the trust. Uh, but you'd have to understand more. Will they take taxes? Still take taxes out? Yes, they will. But. Um, but it also protects your assets, and that's the biggest thing. You know, we can help protect you from getting indicted. Not that we're, you know, it's 100% because if you screw up, then it's, you know, you can't blame the paperwork, that's for sure. But, you know, uh, if they come after you civilly and you don't know how to fight them civilly, then um, you uh you want your assets protected like your car your your paycheck your social security your home any other property that that you own because ownership ties the you to getting levied and uh if you own nothing and they can't get anything so what so Basically, that's it. Okay, is there any uh, questions on the telephone? Raise your hand by hitting star 8. And if not, I don't see any more questions on the board, I don't think. We'll be back on Wednesday. That's right. So with that being said, God bless America, and this call is officially over. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.